I'm just kind of curious, how many, how many what we call foodies are in the room? You like trying new foods, new restaurants? Raise your hand. Oh, look at all of you guys. Wow. And you like new foods also? Like try weird things? Okay, look at all of you brave people. All right. Well, we're kind of foodies, Patty and I and our family. We're, 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 we're kind of foodies. We, we love going to new restaurants and new dinner and going to dinners and having meals. Uh, it's better when we can go have meals with friends, right? Do, how many foodies? you also like people. Let me see your hands. Uh, okay. How many foodies don't like people and you would rather eat alone? Okay. There's a couple of you. All right. That's okay. All right. Well, I won't ask you to join the life group then. Okay. So moving right along. So, um, uh, so we love, we love trying new restaurants and we've had these kind of life groups in the church and we love making friends and just kind of breaking bread together. I think you get to know people better when you're having dinner together. Matter of fact, um, Today, the first Sunday of every month, we have lunch. Patty and I have lunch with all of our elder team, and we're doing that today. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, I've come to enjoy eating with my granddaughter the most out of everybody. Now, she's sloppier than most people, and she gets food everywhere. But, but what I've noticed is that well, like when I'm eating with adults, mature adults, um, how many know the conversations can get kind of predictable? Am I right about it? Like the food comes out and it's, how's your food? Oh, it's good. You know, it's a little underdone. It's a little overdone. It's not as warm. And, and in the conversation sometimes is just so predictable. It's like Charlie Brown's blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, how's the weather? Oh, the weather's good. How the Seahawks do? They didn't do very good. And, uh, you know, how's the job? And, and it just kind of gets predictable and all of that. And, and sometimes with adults, dinners can go good. And sometimes with adults, dinners can go bad. How many know what I'm talking about? When Patty and I first started our first church uh, way back in the early 90s, we used to do these old-fashioned things. How many have been in church long enough to remember potluck dinners? Anybody remember those? Right? And you survived. That's a miracle. All right? And, and we used to, the first Sunday of every month, we used to have, Sunday night, we had these potluck dinners. And there was a lady that I'm not going to call her name. I don't think she would watch this message, but I don't want her to know who we're talking about today. And she would come every potluck dinner, and she had the most outrageous meals. They were always good. They were delicious. There wasn't a crumb left on anything she brought, whether it was food or dessert or appetizers or whatever. It was tremendous. And then we would brag on her and brag on her. And as we'd brag on her, she would kept inviting us over to her house to have a special dinner for us. And finally, we ended up at her house. We pulled in, and the house looked as normal as everybody else's house. We knocked on the door. She opened the door. And as we stepped inside, we realized immediately that we might have chose poorly because she was a great cook, but she was kind of borderline, maybe not even borderline, but kind of a hoarder. Anybody ever? Well, any hoarders? No, no, I'm not going to ask that. And so that, I, you guys know I'm kind of a neat freak, and that just like my skin started crawling. And like we sat down on the couch. She said, well, I'm almost done with the dinner. And, and like the house was such a disaster. Like I, I didn't even feel comfortable sitting back on the couch. How I many know that's really bad, right, everybody? And so we're sitting on the edge of the couch, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? Because as she's in there cooking and she's talking, and I'm like, there's nobody else here out of the corner of my 
eye, I seen movement in the room. And then I seen movement again. And then I heard her talking to George and Freddie and Lori. And I'm like, who is George and Freddie and Lori? Only to discover that these were the names of her pet ferrets that were running all over the house. She had two of them up on her shoulder as she's cooking and one running up and down the countertops. And she was saying, now, Lori, get down from there. We have guests. About that time, I started thinking of the Bible verses that say, if you eat any poisonous thing, how many know what I'm talking about, right? And I could feel, I just felt it rising up in me. I started saying things like, oh, don't go through too much trouble. You know, we had a late lunch. <laughs> how many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, you know, and I'm not sure. Now, my wife, she has a big appetite. No, I didn't say that really, all right? And, and so all I'm saying is there can, with, with adults, there can be good dinners and there can be bad dinners. But I love having dinner with my granddaughter because her imagination is crazy. Any grandparents in the room? I mean, if they weren't little kids and it was an adult saying that, you would think they're on drugs. I mean, really, because they will say some of the craziest things. One day, I was watching her. Everybody went somewhere, and I got to spend the day with her. And I said, Kenny, where do you want to go for lunch? And she said, I want to go have pancakes. So I loaded her in the car, and we went to this big international place of pancakes, all right? The house of pancakes. And, and I said, well, what do you want? And she said, I want a unicorn pancake. Now, I mean, no, that's not something you get in every adult conversation, right? I'm like, well, I don't think they have unicorn pancakes, but they have pancakes with sprinkles. And she said, that's fine because the sprinkles are the unicorn's eyelashes. I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. Uh, I mean, this is an exciting conversation. Now, this is a meal I can get into, right, everybody? The plate came and she, you know, they got multiple syrups. I said, what syrup? She picked a syrup. I put it on there. She took a bite. I said, now, how do your pancakes taste? She said, it tastes purple. And I'm like, oh, all right. That's wonderful. I love that. Here's my point. At dinner, we get to know each other better than if we just casually do life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Could you imagine having dinner with Jesus? Would anybody be nervous or would you be all right? Like, oh, did I pick up the right fork? You know, you know that kind of thing. Well, today we're going to look at two separate meals that included Jesus. Now, you might have read about these meals and thought that they were the same, but they're not. As a matter of fact, if you'll read about them, uh, they are recorded very meticulously with separate details because Jesus is doing something very unique and very different in each meal. And I think it might be relevant to us being history makers. See, what he's doing as he's having dinner is he's teaching his disciples, if we could change that word, he's, changed, he's teaching his church. And maybe even 2,000 years later, he's teaching you and I today. Because he begins to teach through eating, he begins to teach his disciples what it's like to live on mission. He's starting to introduce the concept of what we now know as the New Testament church. He, he's starting to teach them how to be history makers. See, see th they needed to know how to live in an open circle. They needed not only to have an open circle, but they needed to have a missional mentality. And if that's what Jesus is teaching through these dinners... 
I think it's good for us to eavesdrop into them today. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's not enough for us to gather on Sunday mornings and hear a message. We have to be a church that is about mission and about open circle and about fulfilling the purpose of what the church was supposed to be anyway. Can I get an amen in the house? Uh, See, Jesus knew that he was going to establish this thing called the church, which we are in today. And matter of fact, at one point he came to the disciples and he said this. He said, I'm going away. He said, but greater works will you do because I go to the Father. In other words, what you see me doing right now ought to carry on in every congregation, in every church across the globe. Greater works will you do. But he wanted them to understand something that I think we sometimes miss. He wanted them to understand as he was establishing the church that the church was not a place you go to. A church is something that we are. Uh, I know we use the colloquialism, oh, I'm going to church today, and it's okay. I mean, that's fine. But the reality is we don't, it's impossible to go to church because we are the church. And when we understand the mentality and we understand the difference, then we have to start asking ourselves questions like, what should we be doing as the church? They they, they had to learn that they would be the hands and they would be the feet and they would be the voice of Jesus Christ. Now, for the theologians in the room, this means that Jesus wanted us, humans, flesh and blood, to be incarnate. Incarnate, basically, for the simplest definition, is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so what happens when we don't understand that we're supposed to be the church or incarnate, the hands and feet of Jesus, what happens, and I've watched it happen for years, is we become more passionate about our style of church rather than more passionate about the mission we're supposed to be accomplishing as a church. Come on. In fact, let me just throw some out there. Here's some styles of church. We, we love our categories. You know, these are just some of my titles, but I've watched this in my lifetime. If, if we don't understand we are the church, we might become the protesting church. Have you ever met the protesting church? The protesting church is the church that's against everything. They're calling out everything bad in society. They're always against stuff. You know everything they're against, but you don't know anything that they're for. They're the first ones to write something they're against on a cardboard sign and go pick it somewhere. And everybody knows them for how mean they are and what they're against, but they don't know what they're for. There's also what I call the absent church. The absent church is the one that I'm fearful that we would ever become. And the absent church is the church that isolates itself more and more because the world is getting darker and darker. So we build these kingdoms called churches. We have drawbridges that come down on Sunday, invite people in. We close it to anybody that looks like dresses like, talks like, votes like, different rather than we do. And, and we're just the absent church. We live in this church bubble. Come on. We have our own t-shirt brands. We have our own language. We have our own little cliques and clubs. Come on, everybody. Then there's the cultural church. The cultural church, this is the church that swings the pendulum all the way over to the other side. And you can't tell them apart from the world. They're trying so hard to reach the world that they look just like the world. And they've failed to be light and they've failed to be salt. 
There's the legalistic church. Some of you, I've heard your stories, and some of you went to that place. The legalistic church. The legalistic church, they're focused on doing things right. And if you don't do things right, you're not going to go to heaven. They're focused on rules. They're usually the Christians that look like they have a diet of lemons. How many know what I'm talking about, right? They have no joy. They're not happy about anything. They could never come to church and laugh. We got a review a couple weeks ago about, I'm never going back to Radius because those people just think it's just a bunch of fun. I'm like, yeah, he's kind of right. All right. So it, it ought to be some fun here. We ought to be able to laugh in the joy of the Lord, right? Come on. What he's done, isn't that make you joyful, everybody? They, what happens is they serve what they picture as a mean God. And, and if you serve a mean God, how many know you'll be a mean Christian? And let me just tell you a real quick side note. If you, you have never met a mean person until you met a mean Christian. Because a mean person, you can just blow it off. But a mean Christian, they'll be mean to you with a Bible verse as an addendum. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah? And then there's the stuffy church, and, and I won't do too many more of these. They focus on liturgy, and they focus on traditions. They focus on correctness. They serve a very formal God. Come on. Then there's the, and I'm not against denominational churches, so I'm not bashing denominational churches because we're not one, but I've been in one, and sometimes in the denominational church, and there's some great denominational churches, so please just take this for what it is. I'm not... I'm not saying anything I'm not saying. But sometimes we can be more passionate about our particular dogma or our particular belief or our particular style. And often then, because it doesn't fit within our denominational theology, then we think that God can only move within the framework of our denominational theology. Mm. Yeah, and we put God in a box according to our beliefs. And we, they, they become more passionate about how we do something rather than the fact that we do something. I've watched whole churches split over the way you do water baptism. Come on, you know, some will, will say you're going to hell if you didn't get sprinkled. And others will, if you didn't get baptized outside in a river. And, you know, all, all kind of things. How many are glad we're not baptizing out in the river today? Anybody? I mean, come on now. And then number seven is what I'm hoping through this series. We determine that we will be and we will be part of, and that's the life-giving church. The life-giving church where you come and you get built up, where you come and you learn more of God's love and God's grace and God's purpose. And I think it's the life-giving church that ultimately makes history, everybody. And, and I put these churches in three categories. I'll preach these on another day. But there's memorial churches and there's maintenance churches and there's missional churches. Memorial churches. You ever been there? It's all about what God used to do. It's, all, it's the God of history. It's, it's all that. And, and then there's maintenance churches. And you, you always have to have a problem. And the gospel then is only preached to the down and outers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and every week they're going to find something wrong with you so they can maintenance or manage you. Come on. But then, and this is what I'm praying, and this is why I'm making such a big issue out of this series, is we, remember this building is not the church, you are the church, that we would be a missional church. In other words, we'd be fulfilling the great call of God, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, and that is to go into all the world. Can I get some help on that today? Right, everybody? Yeah. 
And so that's what Jesus wants for us. He, he wants us to be incarnate. He wants us to be his hands and his feet so that greater works will we do. Uh, that's what Jesus wants. What I want is that we would be history makers. And Jesus is training the disciples to be on mission. He's teaching them through these meals. So... This first part of Jesus' ministry was very specifically to the Jews. If you've ever studied the life and times of Jesus and how he came on this earth, uh, he came first to the Jews. And, 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 and it was specifically to the Jews in the area of Galilee. I'll come back to that. And he ends this section of his ministry with the miraculous meal of feeding the 5,000. That's how that book ends, that season of his ministry. We talked about that last week, and we dealt with that last week. But let me put it on the screen. Some of you will want to take pictures of this. The Galilean ministry, it ended with the meal of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, remember, all this he's trying to teach the disciples to be the church. So I'm going to come back and backfill these points. The Decapolis ministry, it ended with the feeding of the 4,000. All right, now watch this. And the Judean ministry ended with the feeding of the 12 at the Last Supper. Now let's come back and backfill that. These three meals are the three steps, if you would. He's teaching some very specific things in these meals. He's training the disciples to become the incarnate. He's training the disciples to do the ministry. And when you do the ministry, I'll add my miracle. Come on, thank you very much. I'll preach to you, girl, all right? Because you learn more about someone after you eat with them. How many know that's true, right? You ever ate with somebody and you're like, wow, they're a slob. How many know? Huh? Okay. See, breaking bread together takes relationships from a casual relationship to an intimate relationship. You're breaking bread together. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Come and have communion. Have a meal together. Break bread. The New Testament church, the reason that it grew is in Acts chapter number 2. And daily they met together and they broke bread together. They were doing life more than just coming to a big crowd. Come on. They were breaking down. Come on, girl having donuts this morning during the second service, right? So let's look at these real quick because there's something we can learn about being history makers. First of all, number one is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this is in Galilee. Jesus feeds the 5,000 geographically in Galilee. And now overall, just to get your mind on this, I'm going to have to go fast and contextualize, but overall, this is the group of people that were Jewish. They were the religious people. They were the believers in God. They, they, they were the people that kept all the commands. So Jesus first came, and he does his first miracle, if you would, with all those that were already on the page. You following what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's contextualize that a bit. It's like Jesus wants to show up in church on Sunday. I know we are the church and we bring him. But how many know when we gather together, God can do some stuff in our midst, right? And so if you would, if we could contextualize it, Jesus will bless us today. Jesus will speak to us today. People will get saved today. People will take a step closer to Jesus today. People will meet at the cross. People will break down into life groups. And, and God will meet us there. So he comes first, if I could say it this way, to the church. He comes 
comes first to minister to you. He comes first to minister to those that are ministering. He comes first to the dream team, to the life groupers, to the born again. He comes first to feed us on the first day of the week. It's the, it's the miracle of the feeding is what's going on. Mark chapter number 6 is just some reference. I might not read it all. But he answered, you give them something to eat. That's important. He didn't say, I'll give them something to eat. He said, I want you to do the impossible. And if you'll do the ministering, come on, I'll do the miracling. Come on, everybody. If, we, if we'll show up and clean the parking lots and serve the coffee and watch the kids and present the gospel in such a way, if we will do that, if we'll do the ministering, come on, God will do the miracling, right, everybody? We don't save anybody here. God saves people. But we can do a lot of ministering to people in the process of them giving their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Are you guys following what I'm saying today? Right? And, 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 so, uh, and so it goes on. He says, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. How many of you know? Because we never have the money to do all the things that we're called to do. Yeah, yeah. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, I did that miracle last week, so uh, um, I won't dive deeper into that. But I want you to see a couple things. Jesus is empowering them to do the ministering. Them, the believers. He's empowering the believers to do the ministering. He didn't pick one special superstar. He picked all of them to do the ministering. Come on, everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then here's what he told them to do. He said, break them into groups of 50 and 100. In other words, take this group of 5,000 families and break them into smaller groups. And as they get into smaller groups, that's where the miracle will happen. And that's where the feeding will happen. It's great that we gather in a big crowd on Sunday. But it's when we break down into smaller groups. It's when we break down to breaking bread and breaking donuts. Come on, everybody. That we begin to be fed through the relationship that God created us for. Are you hearing what I'm saying today on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so Jesus is going to do something powerful, but he wants their participation. Uh, um, and, and I was thinking about this yesterday, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I was here yesterday morning, which I'm very rarely here on a Saturday. And I was here, and the place was dark, and I heard noise and laughter in the back. And I went back there, and there were just two of our sweet ladies of the church, Joyce and Debbie. And they were just cleaning the church. Nobody ever sees them. Just them two, just here cleaning the church. And, and I thanked them. They said, no, no, it's our pleasure. You see, this is our little part of breaking the big into the small. And when we do our part and our participation, now I'm just pulling them two out, but there's hundreds of you that do this. But what if there was thousands of us that did this? Come on, everybody. It, it, it might take all of us doing little things that make history. Now, Peter, he didn't get it then. But Peter started getting it later. Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody and they don't get it, but you see down the road all of a sudden they got an awe? How many of you have ever done that? I've done that. I've been having a conversation. Someone's trying to tell me something and I don't get it. Then I'm in my truck driving down the road thinking about it and all of a sudden, ah, now I get what's going on. Well, Peter, he didn't fully get it during the feeding of the 5,000, but after Jesus resurrected and he left him in charge of the church then he got it 
And that's why he wrote in his letter, 1 Peter 2.9, he said this, But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. See, because before this, before the church, we had to come to a priest, and the a priest would represent the whole to go into the presence of God. But when Jesus died, he created the church and he rent the veil. Now we are all born-again believers, a royal priesthood. Now we don't depend on one person. We all are the person that have access to the presence of God. Now I'm glad you're amen in that because there's something to that. He said, but you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Watch that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we ought to never have to talk anybody into praising God. Because he's pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Now... This year, earlier this year, I preached a message called Unloading the Dishwasher, where I go into this a little more in depth. If you want to watch it, it's library there. Um, but, but basically, if we're a royal priesthood, the priests have two jobs. Lean into this. The two jobs that a priest had, which now all of us, if you're born again, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're a royal priesthood. We have two jobs. That's all we have, and that's to minister to God and to minister to people. Whoa. That's, our, that's what the priest did. And now we are the priest. And our responsibility, come on, take the bread, break it up, minister to God, and minister to people. So here's the question I'm going to ask. Now, I'd be asking if I was sitting in the chair, and I'm asking myself, if that's true, how am I ministering to God, and how am I ministering to people? My goal for you and my goal for me, my goal for Radius is that in the year 2024, Every person that calls this their church would answer that question. Here's how I'm ministering to God, and here's how I'm ministering to people. And, 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 and we kind of make it kind of easy for you. You can show up here and minister to God. <laughs> Come on. You can amen when your pastor's preaching. Can I get an amen? amen. You, you can sing the songs, and you can, you can minister to God by loving one another. You can minister to God by encouraging one another. Come on, everybody. How many got kids? When somebody brags on your kids, doesn't it make your heart good? Imagine if you would brag on one another how it makes the Father's heart feel. And so in 2024, I'd like everybody to be in a group or a team. Get in a life group or get on a dream team so that you can fulfill the calling. Come on, everybody. Now, I know you don't have to officially be on. I understand. There's schedules and jobs and all kind of crazy seasons of life. I get it. You don't have to wear a lanyard. But I'm asking you, what are you doing to minister to God? And what are you doing to minister to people? Now, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching 5,000 families. How many know that's a big church service? Right? And the Bible says this, not me. It says he's been teaching a long time. You guys think I'm... He didn't even have a countdown clock. He's not even paying attention to the countdown clock. And finally, the disciples come to him and say, Hey, Rabbi, hey, Jesus, like, this is a great sermon. I've never heard nothing like it, but we need to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we got to get something to eat. And, and as the story goes, they've only got a few fish and some bread. And here's the lesson that comes out of the 5,000. One of the big lessons. When you give to Jesus what you have, he makes it more than enough. See, some of us keep disqualifying ourselves for what we don't have. But when you put it in the hands of God, he makes it more than enough. Come, when everybody participates in every kind of way, God takes that and he does miracles with it. 
Come on, everybody. It's not what you have that matters. It's who you give it to that counts. That was a good point right there. So now watch this. Let me contextualize the story. The miracle's over. Okay, so let's contextualize it. The church service is over. All the church people have been fed. And Jesus doesn't say, now go home and watch football. Which is okay, though. I just want you to know, because that's what I plan on doing. I just want you to know. But the miracle is over. Or the church service is over, and he doesn't say, see you next week. He says, now get in the boat and cross over to the other side. Because now that you've been fed, we got to go feed some people. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Come on now. It, it, it was time to enter phase two of becoming history makers. First, he came to the Jews. The Bible says this. And then to the Gentiles. First, he came to the church. Now he wants the church to cross over because there's a whole bunch of people. You got the miracle. You've been fed. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been blessed. You've been set free. These are great places for amens. You've been set free. Your mind has been restored. You're on your way to heaven. But don't go home and just wait for it to happen again. I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side. In other words, church, I'm blessing you so you can take your blessing to the other side, to the other side of the track, the other group of people. Come on now. Now here's the feeding of the 4,000. The other side of the lake was the area called the Decapolis. The Gentiles lived there. If you know anything about the Gentiles, they were those people. The people that voted different, the people that looked different, the people that believed different. Come on, everybody. And Jesus teaches these unclean, different people, and he opens the circle of love and grace. Check it out real quick. Mark chapter number 8. Watch this. In those days when there was again a large crowd. This is a separate miracle. People have lumped them together as one. It's not one. It's two. And they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples. Now, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. And watch how Jesus has to reteach the disciples like 10 minutes later. (laughs) And he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. How many know that was a long sermon? How many know that, right? For three days, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. It goes on, and his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread? I mean, they'd just seen him work a miracle. Now they're back again like, oh, I don't know, how are we going to do this? <laughs> right? Yeah. And not only did he do the miracle, they got 12 baskets they're walking around with that's left over. <laughs> right? And, 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 and here in this desolate place to satisfy, watch how they describe these people. (laughs) Yeah. And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now this is a little bit different. And I wondered, why in the world would Jesus even have to ask? They'd just seen him feed 5,000. Because, watch this, the disciples still thought that God was only going to work miracles amongst those that believed, those that showed up to church, those that knew how to act, surrounded by people just like them. And notice, no, notice they specifically said these people. How are you going to minister to those people? 
these people. How are we ever going to reach those people? Come on. You know the ones, and every one of us have those people in our mind. You know what I'm talking about, right? How, how do you expect us, what do you expect us to do for these people? I remember when Patty and I first took our first church, uh, they had just built a brand new 400-seat auditorium. It was beautiful, kind of a traditional church, stained glass windows, the old-fashioned pews. It was beautiful. And, and we had this volunteer couple. Um, I better not call their names either. And, and they, they volunteered to clean the church, and the church was spotless. I mean, it was so clean. Everything was new. It was clean. They prided themselves on how clean the building was. The problem was it was so clean they were just about clean out of business how many know what I'm talking about it's because there was no people there they were in bankruptcy the church had gone through multiple splits there was just a handful of people there and we showed up and I, I didn't know how to reach people I just uh, the only thing I knew I'd been a youth pastor so we started doing these Friday night youth services one night this little 400 seat auditorium we had over 600 nearly 700 teenagers on a Friday night and so there wasn't seats for everybody. So you know how teenagers are. They were laying down around the front just, you know, chillaxing. And, and, and some of them were standing against the back wall, you know, with your foot up against the back wall. And, and, and the very next Monday, uh, uh, they, the, the, I almost called their name. They, they brought me in and said, Pastor, we got to show you something. And, and they walked me into the auditorium and showed me all the scuff marks all around the outside of the sanctuary walls. And they got on my, how are you? There was bubble gum under the pews that they had just purchased, and it was a disaster. And, and something hit me. I don't know what it was, but I quoted scripture out of Proverbs that says, Yes, when there are no, the, the stables are clean when there are no ox in the stables. In other words, when there's people, things are going to get messy. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And then they were mad at me again because these toilets were plugged and there was just all kinds of stuff. We bought a bunch of these old raggedy buses and we started busing in inner city kids. We were busing three and four hundred kids in before we ever opened up a place just for them. And we bought all these raggedy old, I mean, barely broken down buses and we had them parked in the parking lot. They brought me out there one day and said, look at all these oil stains on our brand new parking lot. I said, man, well, it's a good thing we don't live back in the day before buses because they they would haul people in in horse and buggies, and imagine that. They, we have oil stains. Uh, imagine what they had in their parking lot back then, right? Come on. It's all a matter of perspective. How many know what I'm saying? Here's what I'm saying is people are messy. That means us, and our lives get messy. Come on, everybody. Let's never categorize them as those people because we're one of those people. And Jesus died for all of those people. Come on now. Now watch this. I've got a few minutes left. Now let me see if I can do my job right and weave all this together. The feeding of the 5,000. Watch this. Track with me on this. The number five. Remember this is 5,000. The number five represents the Torah. The Torah was written to the Jewish people. It was their commands. If I could say it this way, just for the sake of time, it was almost like their Bible, if you would. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, okay? It's to the Jewish people. The number 1,000, 1,000, it stands for people group. So Torah was to the Jewish people. So the feeding of the 5,000 was symbolic of Jesus feeding the Jewish people group. And if you remember in this miracle, there was how many baskets left over? Twelve baskets left over, which represents the twelve tribes of Israel, the Jewish people. You guys tracking? 
I'm going to tie it together. Watch this. Now let's go to the feeding of the 4,000. And it's different than the feeding of the 5,000. And they're meticulously recorded different because Jesus is teaching us to be the church, to be feeders, to be breakers of bread. Come on now. Now he's going to feed the 4,000. But watch this. The number four represents the four corners of the earth. Remember when Jesus said, go into all the corners of the earth. Four is the corners of the earth. It's the pagan nations. It's people that have never heard of Jesus. Again, 1,000 equals people group. So the feeding of the 4,000 is symbolic of feeding all the other people that have not got to receive the bread of life yet. Woo, come on. Thank you, honey. I appreciate it. I'll keep on preaching. Here we go. And, and in this story, there wasn't 12 baskets left over. In this story, there were seven baskets left over. And the number seven in this situation represents all of the pagan nations that didn't know God. You can look it up in Joshua chapter number 3. I won't read it, but Joshua chapter number 3 lists all the pagan nations. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Par- not the Parasites, but the Pezzarites, the Gershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. There they are, the seven pagan nations. In other words, we're not just responsible for feeding ourselves. We're responsible for feeding the four corners of the earth for anybody that hasn't got to be blessed yet. Come on now. It means that it doesn't matter if you're talking to a Christian, to Christian people or pagan people, to holy people or hopeless people. Jesus will partner with us, uh, and, and he has all the ability. All he wants is our availability to carry the bread of life to those that are found and those that are lost, to those that are in the church. Come on, dream team, minister to one another, to those that are outside of the church. He wants to feed the 5,000 and he wants to feed the 4,000. Can I get an amen in this house today? Come on. All of this culminates with Jesus and his disciples at the last supper, then the birth of the New Testament church. He's teaching us a history-making church, watch this, should feed the 5,000 and it should feed the 4,000. My biggest challenge as a preacher of the gospel, every week I wrestle with this. Every week, somewhere in the week, I stress out just a little bit because I'm thinking, how do we feed the five and how do we feed the four? How do I minister to those that are in the church that have been in the church for 50 years? And how do we minister to those that have been in the church for five minutes? It's the feeding of the five and it's the feeding of the four. And the reality is I'm not that good. But if I'll take what little I have and place it in the hands of Jesus, that's why the people that come here, you'll hear people say stuff like, man, I never heard that. I've been in church all my life. I'm glad Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And every Sunday we'll see some new person raise their hand and say, I need to be a follower of Jesus. That's good because he's feeding the 4,000. And that, my friends, is the New Testament church. That's how you make history. Amen. You get anything out of that? And I'm begging you, church. I got one more part in this to go, but I'm begging you as you get ready to enter into a new year. I'm just asking you. You don't have to wear a lanyard to do something for God. But one of the things we're missing in the church world today is we're living by default and not by design. We're all waiting on the bus to take us to heaven while we're not. We want God to do something new while we continue to do something old. That wasn't in the notes. That was pretty good. Write that down for me. i got to say that again in the... Right? In other words, we are the church. Nobody's going to come along and save Mount Vernon. 
Nobody's going to come along and make a difference in Mount Vernon unless the church of Jesus Christ gets in the boat and goes to the other side with the blessings that he's put on us. Well, I got about half of you agreeing with me. To be a history maker, put your notes down. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to see here. (laughs) Put your notes down and just listen to this. To be a history maker, we must quit living as though the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God. Pursue God's ordained passions that are in your life, that are there, is still there. Go after a dream that is destined to fail unless there's divine intervention. Keep asking questions. Keep making mistakes. Keep seeking God. Keep trying new things. Keep doing the Stop pointing out problems and become a part of the solution. I mean that. Come on. We could have a meeting here all day long. I can go to city council meetings. I can meet with the mayor. And we can talk about all the problems in Mount Vernon in our little tulip town. But that's not my place. My place as a messenger of Jesus Christ is to get on the boat, go to the other side, and be a problem solver with the anointing of Jesus Christ on my life. Come on, everybody. Don't clap for me. You're part of the church too, everybody. Come on. Stop, watch this, stop pointing out the problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Expand your horizons. Accumulate experiences. Enjoy the journey. Find every excuse you can to celebrate everything you can. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Burn your bridges. Blaze new trails. Don't let fear dictate your decisions. Take a flying leap of faith. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Go all in with God. Go all out for God and we'll be history makers. Can I get an amen in this house? That's what we're called to do. Come on everybody. And I guess with that I don't have anything left to say. All right. Come on. Will you receive that in the heart that it's meant? You know I get my feelings hurt a little bit when I get so passionate and people say man he's just a mean yelling kind of. No I'm just passionate. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm excited about the potential of what we can be together. We have to ask, why in the world would God raise us up? Why would he assemble us together for such a time as this? So that he could bless us. So that we can go to the other side and be a blessing to somebody else. This week I looked at, this wasn't, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This week I looked at two beautiful buildings in this city that have been abandoned. In fact, I looked at them so hard that I I went and talked to our realtor about them and looked at our finances and started praying, God, could we have that building? Could we buy that building? Because, God, I know one thing. I, I, I know one thing Mount Vernon needs that maybe we could do in the next year or two. We need a youth mall in this city. And let me tell you what that is so you can know where to clap. 
a youth mall. We talk about all the gang violence here and all the teenagers that are in gangs. And we have lots of agencies that are trying to do things. But what if we had one roof we could bring them all under? What if we could help teenagers get out of gangs? What if we could have a place they could come every day after school and get tutored? What if there was a place every day that had a computer learning center? What if we could get them off the streets and have people in this room? What if it could be the place that we have a youth service every week? What if it's the coolest place that this city has ever seen? I mean, it's like a grown-up Chuck E. Cheese. How many know what I'm talking about, right? That we could have, not just for our church, but for the whole city. Come on, if that isn't enough, why don't we just dream big dreams? I know it's way beyond some of us, but look at all these abandoned hotels that are in this area. What if we could just take one of them, and it could become our dream center, where we could start housing people and and teaching people and job skills and discipleship. Come on, everybody. These are the days we got to get in the boat and go to the other side. That's what we got to do. Okay, i got to stop. Would you stand with me right now? i got to stop. 